Section 17 of Germanal by Emile Zola. Translation by Havelock Ellis. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Reading by Matt Perard. Part 4. Chapter 1. On that Monday, the Yambos had invited the Gregoires and their daughter Cecile to lunch. They had formed their plans, and rising from table, Paul Negrel was to take the ladies to a mine, St. Thomas, which had been luxuriously reinstalled, but this was only an amiable pretext. This party was an invention of Madame Ambeau's to hasten the marriage of Cécile and Paul. Suddenly, on this very Monday, at four o'clock in the morning, the strike broke out. When, on the 1st of December, the company had adopted the new wage system, the miners remained calm at the end of the fortnight not one made the least protest on payday everybody from the manager down to the last overseer considered the tariff as accepted and great was their surprise in the morning at this declaration of war made with a tactical unity which seemed to indicate energetic leadership at five o'clock dansard woke m hambon to inform him that not a single man had gone down at the voreau the settlement of the deux cents quarante which he had passed through was sleeping deeply with closed windows and doors and as soon as the manager had jumped out of bed his eyes still swollen with sleep he was overwhelmed every quarter of an hour messengers came in and dispatches fell on his desk as thick as hail at first he hoped that the revolt was limited to the bureau but the news became more serious every minute there was the Mirault, the Crivecourt, the Madeleine, where only the grooms had appeared, the Victoire and Foutre Cantel, the two best discipline pits where the men had been reduced by a third. St. Thomas alone numbered all its people and seemed to be outside the movement. Up to nine o'clock he dictated dispatches, telegraphing in all directions, to the prefect of Lille, to the directors of the company warning the authorities and asking for orders he had sent negrel to go round the neighboring pits to obtain precise information suddenly m hambeau recollected the lunch and he was about to send the coachman to tell the gregoires that the party had been put off when a certain hesitation and lack of will stopped him the man who in a few brief phrases had just made military preparations for a field of battle he went up to madame hambeau whose hair had just been done by her lady's maid in her dressing-room ah they are on strike she said quietly when he had told her well what has that to do with us we are not going to leave off eating i suppose and she was obstinate it was vain to tell her that the lunch would be disturbed and that the visit to st thomas could not take place she found an answer to everything why lose a lunch that was already cooking and as to visiting the pit they could give that up afterwards if the walk was really imprudent besides she added when the maid had gone out you know that i am anxious to receive these good people this marriage ought to affect you more than the follies of your men i want to have it don't contradict me he looked at her agitated by a slight trembling and the hard firm face of the man of discipline expressed the secret grief of a wounded heart she had remained with naked shoulders 
already overmature but still imposing and desirable with the broad bust of a series gilded by the autumn for a moment he felt a brutal desire to seize her and to roll his head between the breasts she was exposing in this warm room which exhibited the private luxury of a sensual woman and had about it an irritating perfume of musk but he recoiled for ten years they had occupied separate rooms good he said leaving her do not make any alterations m hennebeau had been born in the ardennes in his early life he had undergone the hardships of a poor boy thrown as an orphan on the paris streets after having painfully followed the courses of the ecole des mines at the age of twenty-four he had gone to the grand Combe as engineer to the saint barbe mine three years later he became divisional engineer of the pas de calais at the marle mines it was there that he married wedding by one of those strokes of fortune which are the rule among the corps de mines the daughter of the rich owner of a spinning factory at arras for fifteen years they lived in the same small provincial town and no event broke the monotony of existence not even the birth of a child an increasing irritation detached madame hennebeau who had been brought up to respect money and was disdainful of this husband who gained a small salary with such difficulty and who enabled her to gratify none of the satisfactions of vanity which she had dreamed of at school he was a man of strict honesty who never speculated but stood at his post like a soldier the lack of harmony had only increased aggravated by one of those curious misunderstandings of the flesh which freezes the most ardent he adored his wife she had the sensuality of a greedy blonde and already they slept apart ill at ease and wounded from that time she had a lover of whom he was ignorant at last he left the Calais to occupy a situation in an office at paris with the idea that she would be grateful to him but paris only completed their separation that paris which she had desired since her first doll and where she washed away her provincialism in a week becoming a woman of fashion at once and throwing herself into all the luxurious follies of the period the ten years which she spent there were filled by a great passion a public intrigue with a man whose desertion nearly killed her this time the husband had not been able to keep his ignorance and after some abominable scenes he resigned himself disarmed by the quiet unconscious of this woman who took her happiness where she found it it was after the rupture and when he saw that she was ill with grief that he had accepted the management of the monceau mines still hoping also that she would reform down there in that desolate black country the envoys since they had lived at monceau returned to the irritated boredom of their early married days at first she seemed consoled by the great quiet soothed by the flat monotony of the immense plain she buried herself in it as a woman who has done with the world she affected a dead heart so detached from life that she did not even mind growing stout then beneath this indifference a final fever declared itself the need to live once more and she deluded herself for six months by organizing and furnishing to her taste the little villa belonging to the management she said it was frightful and filled it with upholstery 
bric-a-brac and all sorts of artistic luxuries which were talked of as far as little now the country exasperated her those stupid fields spread out to infinity those eternal black roads without a tree swarming with a horrid population which disgusted and frightened her complaints of exile began she accused her husband of having sacrificed her to a salary of forty thousand francs a trifle which hardly sufficed to keep the house up why could he not imitate others demand a part for himself obtain shares succeed in something at last and she insisted with the cruelty of an heiress who had brought her own fortune he always restrained and taking refuge in the deceptive coldness of a man of business was torn by desire for this creature one of those late desires which are so violent and which increase with age he had never possessed her as a lover he was haunted by a continual image to have her once to himself as she had given herself to another every morning he dreamed of winning her in the evening then when she looked at him with her cold eyes and when he felt that everything within her denied itself to him he avoided touching her hand it was a suffering without possible cure hidden beneath the stiffness of his attitude the suffering of a tender nature in secret anguish at the lack of domestic happiness at the end of six months when the house being definitely furnished no longer occupied madame hennebeau she fell into the languor of boredom a victim who was being killed by exile and who said that she was glad to die of it just then paul Negrel arrived at monceau his mother the widow of a provence captain living at avignon on a slender income had had to content herself with bread and water to enable him to reach the ecole polytechnique he had come out low in rank and his uncle m had enabled him to leave by offering to take him as engineer at the bureau from that time he was treated as one of the family he even had his room there his meals there lived there and was thus enabled to send to his mother half his salary of three thousand francs to disguise this kindness m hennebeau spoke of the embarrassment to a young man of setting up a household in one of those little villas reserved for the mine engineers madame hennebeau had at once taken the part of a good aunt treating her nephew with familiarity and watching over his comfort during the first months especially she exhibited an overwhelming maternity with her advice regarding the smallest subjects but she remained a woman however and slid into personal confidences this lad so young and so practical with his unscrupulous intelligence professing a philosopher's theory of love amused her with a vivacity of the pessimism which had sharpened his thin face and pointed nose one evening he naturally found himself in her arms and she seemed to give herself up out of kindness while saying to him that she had no heart left and wished only to be his friend in fact she was not jealous she joked him about the putters whom he declared to be abominable and she almost sulked because he had no young man's pranks to narrate to her then she was carried away by the idea of getting him married she dreamed of sacrificing herself and of finding a rich girl for him their relations continued a plaything a recreation in which she felt the last tenderness of a lazy woman who had done with the world 
Two years had passed by. One night, Monsieur Hennebeau had a suspicion when he heard naked feet passing his door. But this new adventure revolted him in his own house, between this mother and this son. And besides, on the following day, his wife spoke to him about the choice of Cécile Grégoire, which she had made for her nephew. She occupied herself over this marriage with such ardor that he blushed at his own monstrous imagination. He only felt gratitude towards the young man who, since his arrival, had made the house less melancholy. As he came down from the dressing-room, M. Hennebeau found that Paul, who had just returned, was in the vestibule. He seemed to be quite amused by the story of this strike. "'Well?' asked his uncle. "'Well, I've been round the settlements. They seem to be quite sensible in there. I think they will first send you a deputation.' But at that moment, Madame Hennebeau's voice called from the first story is that you paul come up then and tell me the news how queer they are to make such a fuss these people who are so happy and the manager had to renounce further information since his wife had taken his messenger he returned and sat before his desk on which a new packet of dispatches was placed at eleven o'clock the grégoires arrived and were astonished when hippolyte the footman who was placed as sentinel, hustled them in after an anxious glance at the two ends of the road. The drawing-room curtains were drawn, and they were taken at once into the study, where Monsieur Hennebeau apologized for their reception. But the drawing-room looked over the street, and it was undesirable to seem to offer provocations. "'What? You don't know?' he went on, seeing their surprise. Monsieur Grégoire, when he heard that the strike had at last broken out, shrugged his shoulders in his placid way. Bah, it would be nothing. The people were honest. With a movement of her chin, Madame Grégoire approved his confidence and the everlasting resignation of the colliers, while Cécile, who was very cheerful that day, feeling that she looked well in her capuchin cloth costume, smiled at the word strike which reminded her of visits to the settlements and the distribution of charities madame hennebeau now appeared in black silk followed by negrel ah isn't it annoying she said at the door as if they couldn't wait those men you know that paul refuses to take us to st thomas we can stay here said monsieur grégoire obligingly we shall be quite pleased paul had contented himself with formally saluting cecile and her mother angry at this lack of demonstrativeness his aunt sent him with a look to the young girl and when she heard them laughing together she enveloped them in a maternal glance m hennebeau however finished reading his dispatches and prepared a few replies they talked near him the wife explained that she had not done anything to this study which in fact retained its faded old red paper its heavy mahogany furniture its cardboard files scratched by use three-quarters of an hour passed and they were about to seat themselves at table when the footman announced m Danalon. he entered in an excited way and bowed to madame Hennebeau. ah you here he said seeing the grégoires and he quickly spoke to the manager it has come then i've just heard of it through my engineer with me all the men went down this morning but the thing may spread i'm not at all at ease how is it with you he had arrived on horseback and his anxiety betrayed itself 
in his loud speech and abrupt gestures which made him resemble a retired cavalry officer Monsieur Hambeau was beginning to inform him regarding the precise situation when Hippolyte opened the dining-room door. Then he interrupted himself to say, "'Lunch with us. I will tell you more dessert.' "'Yes, as you please,' replied Deneulin, so full of his thoughts that he accepted without ceremony. He was, however, conscious of his impoliteness, and turned towards Madame Hambeau with apologies. She was very charming, however.' when she had had a seventh plate laid she placed her guests madame grégoire and cecile by her husband then monsieur grégoire and deneulin at her own right and left then paul whom she put between the young girl and her father as they attacked the hors d'oeuvres she said with a smile you must excuse me i wanted to give you oysters on monday you know there was an arrival of austin oysters at marchand's and i meant to send the cook with the carriage but she was afraid of being stoned they all interrupted her with a great burst of gaiety they thought the story very funny hush said monsieur hambeau vexed looking at the window through which the road could be seen we need not tell the whole country that we have company this morning well here is a slice of sausage which they shan't have monsieur grégoire declared the laughter began again but with greater restraint each guest made himself comfortable in this room upholstered with flemish tapestry and furnished with old oak chests the silver shone behind the panes of the sideboards and there was a large hanging lamp of red copper whose polished surfaces reflected a palm and an aspidistra growing in majolica pots outside the december day was frozen by a keen northeast wind but not a breath of it entered a greenhouse warmth developed the delicate odor of the pineapple sliced in a crystal bowl suppose we were to draw the curtains proposed negrel who was amused at the idea of frightening the grégoires the housemaid who was helping the footman treated this as an order and went and closed one of the curtains this led to interminable jokes not a glass or a plate could be put down without precaution every dish was hailed as a waif escaped from the pillage in a conquered town and behind this forced gaiety there was a certain fear which betrayed itself in involuntary glances towards the road as though a band of starvelings were watching the table from outside after the scrambled eggs with truffles trout came on the conversation then turned to the industrial crisis which had become aggravated during the last eighteen months it was inevitable said deneulin the excessive prosperity of recent years was bound to bring us to it think of the enormous capital which has been sunk the railways harbors and canals all the money buried in the maddest speculations among us alone sugar-works have been set up as if the department could furnish three beetroot harvests good heavens and to-day money is scarce and we have to wait to catch up the interests of the expended millions so there is a mortal congestion and a final stagnation of business m hombeau disputed this theory but he agreed that the fortunate years had spoilt the men when i think he exclaimed that these chaps in our pits used to gain six francs a day 
double what they gain now and they lived well too and acquired luxurious tastes to-day naturally it seems hard to them to go back to their old frugality monsieur grégoire interrupted madame hennebeau let me persuade you a little more trout they are delicious are they not the manager went on but as a matter of fact is it our fault we too are cruelly struck since the factories have closed one by one we have had a deuce of a difficulty in getting rid of our stock and in face of the growing reduction in demand we have been forced to lower our net prices it is just this that the men won't understand there was silence the footman presented roast partridge while the housemaid began to pour out chamotin for the guests there has been a famine in india said deneron in a low voice as though he were speaking to himself america by ceasing to order iron has struck a heavy blow at our furnaces everything holds together a distant shock is enough to disturb the world and the empire which was so proud of this hot fever of industry he attacked his partridge wing then raising his voice the worst is that to lower the net prices we ought logically to produce more otherwise the reduction bears on wages and the worker is right in saying that he has to pay the damage this confession the outcome of his frankness raised a discussion the ladies were not at all interested besides all were occupied with their plates in the first zest of appetite when the footman came back he seemed about to speak then he hesitated what is it asked m hennebeau if there are letters give them to me i am expecting replies no sir it is m dansard who is in the hall but he doesn't wish to disturb you the manager excused himself and had the head captain brought in the latter stood upright a few paces from the table while all turned to look at him huge out of breath with the news he was bringing the settlements were quiet only it had now been decided to send a deputation it would perhaps be there in a few minutes very well thank you said monsieur hennebeau i want a report morning and evening you understand and as soon as dansard had gone they began to joke again and hastened to attack the russian salad declaring that not a moment was to be lost if they wished to finish it the mirth was unbounded when negrel having asked the housemaid for bread she replied yes sir in a voice as low and terrified as if she had behind her a troop ready for murder and rape you may speak said madame hennebeau complacently they are not here yet the manager who now received a packet of letters and dispatches wished to read one of his letters aloud it was from Piron who in respectful phrases gave notice that he was obliged to go out on strike with his comrades in order to avoid ill-treatment and he added that he had not even been able to avoid taking part in the deputation although he blamed that step so much for liberty of work exclaimed m hennebeau then they returned to the strike and asked him his opinion oh he replied we have had them before it will be a week or at most a fortnight of idleness as it was last time they will go and wallow in the public houses and then when they are hungry they will go back to the pits deneulin shook his head 
i'm not so satisfied this time they appear to be better organized have they not a provident fund yes scarcely three thousand francs what do you think they can do with that i suspect a man called etienne lantier of being their leader he is a good workman it would vex me to have to give him his certificate back as we did of old to the famous rasseneur who still poisons the voreux with his ideas and his beer no matter in a week half the men will have gone down and in a fortnight the ten thousand will be below he was convinced his only anxiety was concerning his own possible disgrace should the directors put the responsibility of the strike on him for some time he had felt that he was diminishing in favour so leaving the spoonful of russian salad which he had taken he read over again the dispatches received from paris endeavouring to penetrate every word his guests excused him the meal was becoming a military lunch eaten on the field of battle before the first shots were fired the ladies then joined in the conversation madame gregoire expressed pity for the poor people who would suffer from hunger and cecile was already making plans for distributing gifts of bread and meat but madame hennebeau was astonished at hearing of the wretchedness of the Monceau's colliers were they not very fortunate people who were lodged and warmed and cared for at the expense of the company in her indifference for the herd she only knew the lesson she had learnt and with which she had surprised the parisians who came on a visit she believed them at last and was indignant at the ingratitude of the people Negrel, meanwhile continued to frighten monsieur gregoire cecile did not displease him and he was quite willing to marry her to be agreeable to his aunt but he showed no amorous fever like a youth of experience who he said was not easily carried away now he professed to be a republican which did not prevent him from treating his men with extreme severity or from making fun of them in the company of the ladies nor have i my uncle's optimism either he continued i fear there will be serious disturbances so i should advise you monsieur gregoire to lock up piolaine they may pillage you just then still retaining the smile which illuminated his good-natured face monsieur gregoire was going beyond his wife in paternal sentiments with regard to the miners pillage me he cried stupefied and why pillage me are you not a shareholder in monceau you do nothing you live on the work of others in fact you are an infamous capitalist and that is enough you may be sure that if the revolution triumphs it will force you to restore your fortune as stolen money at once he lost his childlike tranquillity his serene unconsciousness he stammered stolen money my fortune did not my great-grandfather gain and hardly too the sum originally invested have we not run all the risks of the enterprise and do i to-day make a bad use of my income madame hennebeau alarmed at seeing the mother and daughter also white with fear hastened to intervene saying paul is joking my dear sir but monsieur gregoire was carried out of himself as the servant was passing round the crayfish he took three of them without knowing what he was doing and began to break their claws with his teeth 
ah i don't say but what there are shareholders who abuse their position for instance i have been told that ministers have received shares in monceau for services rendered to the company it is like a nobleman whom i will not name a duke the biggest of our shareholders whose life is a scandal of prodigality millions thrown into the street on women feasting and useless luxury but we who live quietly like good citizens as we are who do not speculate who are content to live wholesomely on what we have giving a part to the poor come now your men must be mere brigands if they came and stole a pin from us negrel himself had to calm him though amused at his anger the crayfish were still going round the little crackling sound of their carapaces could be heard while the conversation turned to politics monsieur grégoire in spite of everything and though still trembling called himself a liberal and regretted louis philippe as for Denalon, he was for a strong government he declared that the emperor was gliding down the slope of dangerous concessions remember eighty nine he said it was the nobility who made the revolution possible by their complicity and taste for philosophic novelties very well the middle class to-day are playing the same silly game with their furious liberalism their rage for destruction their flattery of the people yes yes you are sharpening the teeth of the monster that will devour us it will devour us rest assured the ladies bade him be silent and tried to change the conversation by asking him news of his daughters lucy was at marchand where she was singing with a friend jean was painting an old beggar's head but he said these things in a distracted way he constantly looked at the manager who was absorbed in the reading of his dispatches and forgetful of his guests behind those thin leaves he felt paris and the director's orders which would decide the strike at last he could not help yielding to his preoccupation well what are you going to do he asked suddenly Monsieur Hanvon started, then turned off the question with a vague phrase. We shall see. No doubt you are solidly placed. You can wait, Denelin began to think aloud. But as for me, I shall be done for it if the strike reaches Vandamme. I shall have reinstated Jean Bart in vain. With a single pit, I can only get along by constant production. Ah, I am not in a very pleasant situation, I can assure you this involuntary confession seemed to strike monsieur hambeau he listened and a plan formed within him in case the strike turned out badly why not utilize it by letting things run down until his neighbor was ruined and then buy up his concession at a low price that would be the surest way of regaining the good graces of the directors who for years had dreamed of possessing vandamme if jean bart bothers you as much as that said he laughing why don't you give it up to us but Denelin was already regretting his complaints he exclaimed never never they were amused at his vigour and had already forgotten the strike by the time the dessert appeared an apple charlotte meringue was overwhelmed with praise afterwards the ladies discussed a recipe with respect to the pineapple which was declared equally exquisite the grapes and pears completed their happy abandonment at the end of this copious lunch all talked excitedly at the same time while the servant poured out rhine wine in place of champagne which was looked upon as commonplace 
and the marriage of paul and cecile certainly made a forward step in the sympathy produced by the dessert his aunt had thrown such urgent looks in his direction that the young man showed himself very amiable and in his wheedling way reconquered the grégoires who had been cast down by his stories of pillage for a moment m hennebeau seeing the close understanding between his wife and his nephew felt that abominable suspicion again revive as if in this exchange of looks he had surprised a physical contact but again the idea of the marriage made here before his face reassured him hippolyte was serving the coffee when the housemaid entered in a fright sir sir they are here it was the delegates doors banged a breath of terror was passing through the neighboring rooms around the table the guests were looking at one another with uneasy indecision there was silence then they tried to resume their jokes they pretended to put the rest of the sugar in their pockets and talked of hiding the plate but the manager remained grave and the laughter fell and their voices sank to a whisper while the heavy feet of the delegates who were being shown in tramped over the carpet of the next room madame hennebeau said to her husband lowering her voice i hope you will drink your coffee certainly he replied let them wait he was nervous listening to every sound though apparently occupied with his cup paul and cecile got up and he made her venture an eye to the keyhole they were stifling their laughter and talking in a low voice do you see them yes i see a big man and two small ones behind haven't they ugly faces not at all they are very nice suddenly m hennebeau left his chair saying the coffee was too hot and he would drink it afterwards as he went out he put a finger to his lips to recommend prudence they all sat down again and remained at the table in silence no longer daring to move listening from afar with intent ears jarred by these coarse male voices End of section seventeen